Well, good morning, Radiant, and uh, just what a delight to be with here, be with you here this morning. And as we've been talking over this year, this is a unique year. This is a unique base camp kind of a year for us. This is, as I've used the terminology, this is a year where we're kind of standing here at base camp, Mount Forward is ahead. And uh, what does that look like? And what we're preparing ourselves for that and coalescing ourselves around the, the whys and the what's and the how's of what is ahead and how we best lean into that as we move forward. We've been talking about uh, January through February. We were, or January, February through June. I'll get it. Uh, February through June was just talking about growing forward and what is it to be a people uh, who is deepening our walk and our maturity with the Lord and spent that time setting that full foundation, looking back and looking ahead and then looking to the cross and the resurrection and then uh, looking at living new and uh, the fact that we've been made new and we've been called to new and we've been equipped for new. And, and that is on our table. We want to be people growing and maturing in Christ for his glory. And we spent that time, and now we're in this sent forward series, the whys and the what's and the how's of what does it mean to be a sent forward kind of a people? And so we're leaning into that. And in fact, three Sundays ago was the why. Uh, why be a sent forward people? Well, that Sunday was taking a look from Genesis to Revelation and seeing the full uh, view of uh, from the beginning to the end that, that uh, the picture of Scripture points to this whole thing of God loves more like for his glory. We went to Genesis 1, the plants, the animals, even Adam and Eve. Hey, multiply and be fruitful. I, I take glory and more like you and laying that out on the table for them. And then we saw that continuing on with Noah and with Abraham and on and on on and on through all of the scripture that, that, that God isn't desiring more for a greedy standpoint like we struggle to deal with more. God is wanting more like for his glory, more disciples who are leaning into the Lord and coming to know and walk in the Lord. And that was the why of that. And then two Sundays ago was really the what. I just needed to lay on the table. When we talk about sent forward, what are we talking about? And we went to Matthew to take a look at the practice of Christ. And my summary statement for that, and I think Jesus' ministry methodology, his ministry strategy, was that of ministering to the many while discipling a few. And it was really keying in on the discipling a few, uh, discipling a few in a few, that was the banking of the ministry on that. And, and I believe that's been called off onto us as well. He set the example for that. We are all, those in Christ are to be ministering to the many, but we are also to be involved and engaged in, in discipling a few. Uh, addition leads to multiplication. And then last Sunday, what a blessing. Last Sunday, John Kelly, lead pastor from Chicago West Bible Church, was here, just such a special friend. And he wanted to, he was like, heard what we were talking about with this series. And John was like, I, I want to be a part of that, man. And so he talked last Sunday, I might say another what? Like, what are we going into when we talk about being a sent forward people? He took us to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and talking about how we live in a world of pain and sorrow. 
And we are sent into that world of pain and sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, how God uh, is comforts us in our sorrows and our pains. Yeah, just so you know, this isn't heaven on earth, in case you've been like trying to figure that out. This isn't heaven on earth. It's a broken earth. There are sorrows and pains on earth, and yet God comforts us in that for a host of reasons. And one of those reasons includes so that we can be able to uh, come alongside and comfort those who are in their pain and sorrow. What a blessing it is when you're in a hard time of life and someone comes along and says, you know, I don't know exactly your situation, but I know what it is to be in pain and sorrow, and I'd love to walk with you in that. And just what a special time that was with John, and uh, grateful for that. So we've talked about the sent for, we've talked about the why, check. Uh, we've talked about the, the, the what's, check. And so now it's kind of like, well, Doug, so we're going to go into the how-tos, right? Like we're going to go into how to make disciples, and uh, not yet. Hold the bus for a minute. Uh, that'll be starting next Sunday. But I want to ask a core question. And going through this whole series right now on Sent Forward, um, a question needs to be answered, and it's this. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? If we're desiring to be disciples, and we're desiring to make disciples, how about we define that? Because if we don't define that, well, what are we doing then? So I, I want to define that. I, I'm a simple guy, and uh, so I'm going to define it in four words. But first, if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be uh, kind of starting and grounding ourselves there. And, and I'll just note this. For 15 years now as a church, because this is even before we launched uh, March of uh, 2008 as a church, uh, we desired to be a church that was about uh, growing disciples who would make disciples. That's been in the conversation since the very beginning, even before we launched, even before there was technically staff and all of that. It was like, this church wants to be a church that's about making disciples that make disciples. It's in our DNA. It's in our DNA, and we desire to continue to do that. That's the whole last series, growing forward deep in the Lord as disciples in the Lord, and yet also disciples that are going for the Lord. And out of that, we come into this, what is a disciple? I love simple. I, I, I love biblical. Uh, there are conversations that are uh, written in paragraphs, that are written in dissertations, that are written in books about what is a disciple, but I'm a simple guy, so I vote for simple. So here's my four words to define what a disciple is. Uh, maybe you might want to take this as your definition. Uh, here it is. Disciples follow, disciples make. Disciples follow, disciples make. It's really that simple in it. So uh, let me unpack this, and uh, we've got a, a few things going on here this morning with this. Let me unpack this. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, starting verse 18. Verse 19 is core for this series, but let's start in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, uh, saw two brothers. This is very early in the ministry. He's about to uh, call the disciple Simon, who's called Peter, uh, and Andrew, his brother. They're casting a net in the sea, for they were what? Fishermen. By the way, what Jesus is about to say is communicated in language that these guys would understand. Okay? I love that fact. He comes along and he uses terminology that regular folk can understand. I vote for that because I'm a regular folk. 
And here's a fisherman. Uh, these two brothers are fishing. And in this fishing, how does Jesus then uh, word it as he comes along? He comes along and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Man, they could understand it. By the way, I don't think this is uh, the kind of thing that this is the very first time that they heard about Jesus. I actually think that uh, in this, their response to this was they had already heard about Jesus and this is an opportunity like, bam, they're out of the gate. And by the way, the bam just set you up because verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. What did they do? They followed him. Uh, it's that simple. Oh, and going a little further on, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Uh, I'm going to guess on this. I'm going to guess he said something like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, can we agree? Uh, that's probably what he said in this. I mean, he's walking along. There's these two fishermen out there, and he's like, follow me. I'll make you fish. Walking a little bit longer, and, and now the three of them, and he says, hey, uh, I'm going to guess. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Verse 22, setting you up immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. <laughs> I actually think dad is not like, what? Like, what? what? I think actually dad is like, go, man. Go, this is awesome. Uh, I'll take care of this. You do that. And that's the setting. Uh, it's interesting in this. What did Jesus ask? Jesus asked them to follow him. Oh, and in this, Jesus said he is going to make them into something. What is Jesus going to make them into? He's going to make them into disciple makers. Follow me and I will make you disciple makers was the whole idea of what is going on here. You see, disciples follow and disciples make. Uh, these men, uh, we come to know them as the disciples, and they're asked to make disciples. Uh, let's carry this through so you understand that I'm not just grabbing this follow and, and make out of one verse here. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 I want to establish this word following, this word make, is a consistent theme in Scripture that is used to describe and define what a disciple is. Verse 18, chapter 8, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Interesting, the word he uses, that's what they understood. Someone who's following a teacher, that's the terminology. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And if you're reading that and studying that and you go, what in the world does that have to do with anything? I actually think, seriously, I actually think Jesus is leaning into people and going, I don't think you understand what following is because I'm talking about radical. None of this easy believism stuff. If you just want to hang around me, I'm out on that. You got to understand, I don't have a place to lay my head. Now you want to join me? Verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Man, that's a proper thing. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Whew, did he have a bad day? Or... No, again, I think we're being taught here. He's using these conversations to help teach. Uh, being a disciple of Jesus is not, as I've said, is not easy believism. It is not like following someone on Facebook. 
okay? We have the term following. Nowadays, I have to fight against using the term following because we think, well, I follow Jesus on Facebook. I follow Jesus on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and whatever. No, not that kind of following, okay? This is a radical following. This is a with your life following. This is something that is a step up and above. Turn to, turn to chapter uh, 9, verse 9. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew. We read this a few weeks ago, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew followed him. Again, the terminology is used of a disciple of Christ. Get into chapter 10. Look at verse 38. Jesus is talking. And whoever does not take his own cross, whoever does not take her own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Woo. Uh, wherever, uh, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Hey, friend, already, I just want to set the stage for what's going on today. If you are in the dating Jesus thing, where Jesus is about my comfort and when he works for me, I want to love you enough because it would be wrong of me to, to do anything differently. I want to love you enough to say, you're not understanding what being a follower of Jesus is. Amen. In fact, you're being fooled by yourself because that's not at all what it's talking about. Uh, look at uh, chapter 16, chapter 16, verses 24 and 26. And this just adds to what I was just saying. Chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, not just you, but if anyone would come after me, let him let her deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Oh, how many people are doing just that? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let me add to this. I'm establishing this term, disciples follow. It's a biblical reality. I'll just mention these. 1 Corinthians 1.12 says, Each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Again, the term follow is used throughout Scripture, referencing what people follow. By the way, you follow someone. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. It's really interesting sometimes talking with people who are so, oh, I'm so out with God. I'm so out with Jesus stuff on it. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm doing my own thing. No, you're not. You're following someone. Because the fact of the matter is the way you dress, the way you talk, the things that you seek to achieve and accomplish and do what you're heading after, that you are following the world. You know, it's kind of like, ah, you guys are just lemmings of Jesus. I'm not. No, you're a lemming of the world. Just true. And frankly, if someone wants to call me a lemming of Jesus, have at it. Uh, not a bad thing to be a lemming of Jesus. Uh, let me keep going. Uh, disciples make. Let me take, make a few references to this. Genesis 1, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Created and called, uh, uh, designed and designated to be uh, individuals who are participating, producing more light for God's glory. Adam and Eve produce more light for my glory. 
Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples. That was not only a call to disciples, I think that was a pattern and a call for all of God's people in that. And in fact, I'll add uh, to show that, 2 Corinthians 5.20, the Apostle Paul uh, talking to the Corinthians, and he's saying, therefore we, not him alone, but we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's a big deal. Uh, By the way, what's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents someone and who speaks for someone. Uh, Say, follower of Christ, you are an ambassador. How's your ambassading going? Because we are ambassadors of that. Second uh, Timothy 2, 2, uh, disciples make, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, to faithful women who will be able to teach others also. And one more, Titus 2, 1 through 8. Um, older men, I'll sum it up. Older men teach, urge, might I say, disciple the younger men. Older women teach, urge, disciple the younger women. It's interesting in that age, as as I'm getting older, it's becoming more obvious to me, so I'm 60 years old now, and um, my wife just turned 60. I told her the other day, I said, I was going to say that you've turned 35, 25 times now, but she's like, no, that sounds worse. (laughs) But as I get older in this, as we get older in this, we still think we're young, Can I just say, one of the things that ends up happening is when we talk about a text like out of Titus, older men, older women teach the younger. We're usually thinking, we're the younger, who's going to teach me? And I just want to put a note out here. All of us have been called to be teaching, urging, and discipling others. And let's not just be the younger ones in our heads thinking, I'm waiting for someone to lead. Well, Doug, what's the program to do this? Really? Do we need a program to do it? How about we just do it? How about we just get after it and do it? Older men, older women. Disciples follow, disciples make. I see it throughout scripture. And I'll say this, the next five Sundays, we're gonna be drilling down into disciples make. What does it look like to make disciples? Making disciples is not an event. Making disciples is a process that's ongoing. We're gonna be having five Sundays gearing ourselves in that. Uh, Making disciples uh, by preparing, making disciples by planting, making disciples by watering, making disciples by weeding, making disciples by harvesting. By the way, I just want for you to know, today I'm going to be preparing and planting for you and helping you along the way with that. But that's what disciples make. So since we're going to be spending five weeks in that, I want to key in on here on spending the rest of our time here on disciples follow. Disciples follow. When the Bible talks about following Jesus, I've already alluded to this, it it is not some willy-nilly following. It is not some here and there following call. It is not as I feel like about it. I also want to say this. It is not a be perfect at it call either. Okay? Be very clear on that. Uh, but it is, it is not this kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I believe in God. You know, yeah, kind of like I believe in George Washington. You know, I follow God kind of like I follow whoever you follow on Facebook. It's not that. It is something deeper. It is something broader. It is something more wonderful. In fact, let me kind of, as I spent time this week thinking about this, there are four realities to this uh, invitation of 
disciples follow. Well, let me bring four realities of disciples follow. This word, following. Following is not only biblical, but the word following, when you think about it, following is an invitation. Following is invitational. Um, Matthew 4.19, follow me. It carries this imperative sense of, come follow me, you guys. Here's, here's what we have on the table. It's an invite. Come. By the way, think about that. An invitation and what took place in Matthew 4, 19 and 20 uh, following there. Uh, three things about that. One, in, an invitation, it implies separation. It implies the fact that they are currently not in a, in a following him position. They're fishing. He's walking. He's invited them to follow them. There is a separation that goes on, and follow me implies the separation is there. Thus, you don't need to have this invitation out. By the way, that also invitation implies that the separated one has an opportunity it's separation, but it also is a separation with an opportunity. The invitation is for the unfollower to be given the opportunity to follow, right? Hey, come follow me. It's, it allows the separated from to be able to be in a, well, a walking with and abiding alongside a reality. It, it, invitation, just by the reality of the idea and the word, it, it implies separation. It, it, it implies opportunity. And third, it implies a response. Are you going to RSVP or not? <laughs> it implies a response. Jesus asked them. By the way, D, Jesus didn't, wasn't on the shore and he had a lasso and he just threw it out, grabbed them, snagged them and said, you're following me. It wasn't that. It was an invitation, which means that it has this implied reality of a response. Hey, come follow me. No, thanks. Okay. Hey, come follow me. Bam, let's go. Received. It implies a response. I followed. If you were to ask these four individuals that we just read in Matthew 4 a little bit ago, when did you begin following Jesus? They had a day. They had a time. Then, oh, what preceded that? Well, I was hearing things about him. I was becoming familiar with. I might have even thought that he was the Messiah. No, no, no. I'm not talking about what you began. The Lord was using to move you to this place. But when did you follow? Following is invitational. Secondly, following is intentional. It's going to be a big word as we come in these next five weeks, intentional. In other words, I've already alluded to this. Uh, following has a definitive starting point. I wasn't following, then I followed, right? That's the whole idea of it. It's not some fuzzy wuzzy. Seriously, it's not that complicated. I wasn't following, then I was. It's that simple. It, by the way, it also does not have an ending point, this following that we're talking about in Scripture. It's not like I followed for a season. I followed for a moment. Uh, there are those who do that. It talks about in Mark chapter 4 with the four soils, soils 2 and 3. But uh, I don't think they ever really were true followers. They were just in it for the moment. They were just in it for what they thought they would get out of it. It's, I intentionally followed, and I am intentionally following. 
I got more words and letters in there than I think I needed, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Third, biblical following is structural. Follow me. It's not just follow. It's not like Peter Andrew just said, okay, let's just follow our whim. It wasn't that. It was a very clear thing. Follow me. Uh, One leads, the other follows. One is the authority. The other is the under the authority. One is the teacher. One is the student. One is in front. One is behind. Uh, One is the savior and the other is the saved. I wasn't following, but then I was given the opportunity to follow. And by God's grace, I responded and I followed. And by God's grace, I am continuing to follow. And wherever Jesus leaves and whatever Jesus asks of me, I will follow. Following is invitational. Following is intentional. Following is structural. And lastly, following is visible. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Something comes out of following. I want for you to know, we live in, as you know this, but we we live in a very individualized society. You know, well, what I believe is good for me, and there's truth to that because the Lord allows us to choose what we want to be able to do. But in it, following Christ should show this idea of, you know, it's just me and Jesus in my little cubby hole and, you know, I'm all into myself. And, yeah, and where is that in scripture? It isn't. Instead, there's a following that eventually becomes visible, even in the prior series of growing forward in our progressive sanctification, our growth in the Lord, having been saved, and it begins to show and increasingly shows. That's what maturity is. Not perfect. I mean, we are like this in walking with the Lord. But there is, if you average it, there is a constant growing in the Lord and a maturing in the Lord. And that should be taking place. And that shows, that should show in my character, that should show in how I relate to people, with my spouse, with my kids, with friends, uh, so on and so forth. And it's a visible thing. And not only is it visible, but it's visible from the fact of, goodness sakes, you come to a point and how can you not talk about the reality of it? How can you not? Following Jesus is not to be done in isolation. Disciples follow. Following is invitational. Following is intentional. Following is structural. Following is visible. I'm compelled to go to another place with this. Um... I think there's a viable question to be asking right now in this. Okay, you're talking about following Jesus. Okay, disciples follow, disciples make. Why should I follow Jesus? I mean, that's a great question, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about actually following. We're talking about having relationship, but why? I want to talk about that. In fact, I want to do it in this way. I want to, I have some objectives for this. I'll, I'll tell you when I'm done. Um, why? Why follow Jesus? Bob is a friend. Bob is a coworker friend. Bob and I, uh, we work together and we've known each other for a few years now and This is a made-up story. And uh, 
Bob and I were, we've become good friends and Bob's had struggles in life. I've had some struggles in life and Bob and I are ca- uh, cabin coffee. Bob and I are Chick-fil-A. Um, two throwouts there. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bob and I are just having a conversation and Bob just kind of all of a sudden asked me, Doug, let me put it in this term. Why do you follow Jesus? And we don't have a whole lot of time. In fact, we've only got about five minutes. And I'm like, Bob, thank you for asking. Can I show you on a napkin um, why I follow Jesus? Yeah, that's what I ask. Okay, let's do it. I grab the napkin. I grab something to write with. I don't have a Bible with me. So I'm just going to go with a couple verses. Bob, here's why I follow Jesus. What I came to learn, wow, it's freaky watching this and yourself on a screen. (laughs) Bob, I came to understand the Bible says that God created mankind and they were in perfect relationship. And that in that relationship together was marvelous. But then Bob, I came to understand the Bible says something came in and broke that whole relationship. It's called sin. And that relationship became broken and it is a big, big deal I came to learn. Let me redraw this, Bob, because uh, I think this will better show the reality of uh, the whole situation at hand. Uh, Bob, mankind, we are over here. And God is over here. And once, what was once united has now been broken. And that thing that has brought that brokenness is the fact of sin. And sin has caused a brokenness between us and God, a holy God. And a couple verses, one that comes to mind, Bob, is Romans 3.23. It says that all have sinned. It says that all have fallen short. You know, Bob, it's kind of like on this picture, it's like, you know, we try to earn God's favor, but it it falls short. We try really hard and the, the emphasis on the tones are important. We fall short on that whole thing. And I love the fact that the Bible doesn't hold back the reality of what's going on. By the way, Bob, it says that all of sin, that includes me, and I'm just going to say that includes you, and that includes everyone here in this place. That means we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. There's one other verse I'll put over here to help describe this side. Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. I got to tell you, I don't like that word death very much, but I appreciate the fact that we are learning what the real deal is going on here. And Bob, it's not talking just about physical death. As a result of sin, it's talking about spiritual death. It's talking about this gap that has come in here between a holy God and sinful mankind. And um, Bob, I came to learn as a young man that I'm in deep trouble I'm in deep trouble, Bob, because I don't, how, how do I take care of this? Well, Bob, let me kind of uh, go over to the other side because this verse, Romans 6.23, has another part to it. It says over here, for the wages of sin is death, but then it goes on to say, but, uh, uh, help me. Oh, goodness sakes, I'm totally blank. Karen, what is it? But the gift of God, 
Thank you. But the gift of, uh, Karen was sitting at the other table in the restaurant. But <laughs> the gift of God is eternal life. And, and uh, oh, it adds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And looking at this side, it's like, how cool is this? God could have just said, I'm done with you all, but he didn't. God has a gift. And God is the one who initiated that gift. And God gave a, provided a gift of eternal life. Not like, you know, let's have dark chocolates every day. Let, let's like eternal life with that. And by the way, it tells us that it's through Jesus Christ. And Bob, when it all came together for me when I was hearing about this, was I came to understand that here I am, and I am broken in sin. But Jesus Christ died on the cross, providing the opportunity to bridge that gap. In fact, there's a verse you've probably heard, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would have eternal life. And I'm just going to tag another verse on it. You don't have to use all of these. But, but John 1:12, I think it helps explain that a little bit more because it says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And Bob, that's when it clicked for me that a broken sinner, that through Christ, by receiving what Christ did for me, I... I can become a child of God. And I got to tell you, Bob, that's a deal I can't not enter. And so, Bob, when I was a young man, I remember praying and just confessing, God, I am a sinner. I am separated from you. And God, you have provided through Christ to do for me what I could not do for myself. And Lord, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Bob, that's why I follow Jesus. That's why I follow Jesus. Bob, um, how about if you take this napkin home? And uh, could we maybe talk about it another time? And I have one question. Where would you put yourself on this diagram, Bob? I'd love to talk with you about that. Someone's calling and it's God. <laughs> I have another friend. His name is Wes. Wes and I, a different situation, Wes and I have been getting together now for three weeks. Wes and I have been friends for a while, and Wes a while ago said, you know, I know you kind of do this Bible stuff. Could you, like, take a couple weeks and just help me understand what that is about? I'd love to. And so for three weeks, we've been walking through just the first chapter of John and just talking about it and who is Jesus. And it was week number four, and I knew it was my turn. It was my turn to bring something up with Wes and so I asked Wes, I said, Wes, could I show you why I follow Jesus? And Wes was like, yeah, actually, I'd, I'd be open to that. I said, it's only going to take like five minutes. Okay. Wes, 
Um, by the way, we have a Bible. That's the difference here. All the things are going to look the same, but we have a Bible. Uh, Wes, uh, I'm going to turn to Ephesians 2, and uh, uh, I would like for you to read uh, from that when I ask. But uh, one of the things I learned, Bob, was that, does this look familiar? One of the things I learned, Bob, Wes, <laughs> is that in the beginning, God created mankind. That's a pretty cool thing that God created us. And there was a perfect relationship going on. Here's God walking in the Garden of Eden. Here's Adam and Eve. It's like spot on perfect. And then something came along and broke that, and it's called sin. Now, let me uh, put that over here, Wes, and, and show you a little bit more uh, expanded here what then happened. We have mankind over here. And in this sin has come in and broken this up and, and God is here and there's this chasm here that has now come about because of sin. And, and, and Wes, uh, looking at Ephesians 2, uh, would you read verses 1 through 3? And read them kind of slow because as you read, I'm going to write a few things down. Wes, go ahead and read verses 1 through 3. Yeah, it's right there. Would you go ahead and read those? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Whoa. Man, Wes, that's heavy-duty stuff. Again, I love the fact that the Bible just puts it on the table for us to be able to know and understand. There's some things in there I don't really like, but let's just take a look at what it says. Those first three verses tell us that we are dead in sins. In fact, it actually says in our sins upon sins. Wes, I'm 60 years old now. If we were to uh, just say I committed one sin a day, which is, uh, I've done better than that, which is uh, one sin a day over my 60 years, that would be some 20,000 uh, sins in my life. Let's just be real about it. Let's say there's at least 10 a day, and I'm telling you, uh, there's days, it's way beyond that. And 10 a day, that's some 200,000 sins in my life. Uh, can we agree? That's like a pile of sin. So I have this pile of sin that is coming up, and I'm dead in that. And, and I'm not waking in sin, I'm walking in sin. And the text says, I'm following sin, and I'm living in sin. And then it brings this whole word in here, that I'm a child of wrath. There's a lot about that I don't like, Wes. And it scares the living life out of me. But, but all of a sudden, the text turns. Uh, Wes, would you read uh, verses 4 through 7? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Man, man, 
I got to tell you something, Wes, that is awesome stuff. Because when I take a look at what it just said here, I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm saying, I'm in trouble. But when I take a look over here, I'm like, I want this. And what I mean by that is here, it's God did something. How often have I tried to work and be good enough? It doesn't happen. Uh, In that text, it says, not by works. We try and we try and we try and we can make it. I still have 200,000 sins in my bank account. And, but God, he is rich in mercy. He loved that. He is great in love. I love that. He, he can make me alive. It's all through grace. I'm seated and be seated with him. It's all through Christ. And I'm just telling you, Bob, when I was a young man, or Wes, when I was a young man, uh, I, I, he has double personalities. Uh, Wes, uh, when I was a young man, I came to realize very clearly, I want that, not this. In fact, with that, Wes, would you read uh, verses 8 through 10? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, when you walk through that text, Wes, it talks about grace, it talks about faith in Christ. And again, it's a gift of God. We can't earn it. And so what happened in my life as a young man was I came to realize here I am and I am in sin upon sins, like 200,000 plus. And God is a holy God, and yet that God loved me enough and loves us enough that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And by receiving that gift, I can be transferred from that to actually being transferred over into being a child of God, saved by grace. And Wes... This is why I follow Jesus. And this is why my life is about following Jesus because I once was here, but by the work of Christ and receiving Christ, I am now here and I want to live that. Um, Wes, if you were to put yourself on this, where would you put yourself? four reasons for me doing this today. One, I want for us to understand what following Jesus is about and why. Hey, friends, following Jesus is not just for spiritual cupcakes and fuzzy bunnies. Following Jesus is about the reality of I am a child of wrath without Christ. And by receiving Christ, I have been redeemed. And I live over here in God's eyes now. I have been covered. And I, what else would I do? I am to follow the Lord. I don't want to be living like this. 
I want to be living over here, already saved, but now I want to make that real. And I just want to take our time. It's invitational, it's intentional, it's structural, it's visible. Secondly, the reason why I wanted to do what I've just done here on the board is because this whole series is about being sent forward. And I don't think in all of my years growing up in church, I ever saw my pastor share the gospel. And I wanted to do that with you today. This is called the bridge illustration. And it's the kind of thing, you can do this. You can do this in five minutes. I can actually do it in three minutes. And now we're sounding like a game show. Okay? And you can do this. And as we're going into our communities, this is it. This is what you can leave. Third, maybe by drawing this out, there's someone. Or someones in this room that would say, I never understood this. I need to receive Christ as my savior. Maybe for some in this room, it's been like, I've been kind of like dating Jesus. I've been like learning about and dating him and all of that is wonderful and good, but it's time to enter a covenant relationship with. At some point in time, stop dating Jesus and enter into a covenant relationship. And by the way, there's a time when that happens. If you ask someone who's married, when you got married and they're like, I don't know, it was like way back then. What? Hey, maybe you've never come to understand that you're a sinner separated from God, and yet God has made the provision for you to know him as your savior. And this morning, I wanna call you and encourage you in your chair, it's time to receive Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner separated from you. And because of what the Bible says about what Christ has done for me, I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just date you. I want to receive you as my savior. And I want to begin coming to understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus for real. It starts today. Maybe that's you. And if that is, tell someone. Because we want to get excited with you. And Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice in the fact that we have a story to tell. We rejoice in the fact of what you have done and who you are. God, we have gone from being children of wrath to children of God. We have gone from being Ephesians to followers of this world, followers of the prince of the power of the air, Satan, to followers of Jesus. And it is all because of you. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray right now in this room, as I talked about just a little bit ago, if there's someone in this room who doesn't know Christ, God, I pray right now that they would be receiving Christ, that they would not just make it a private little thing. They would make it a big, crazy deal. That they would come to you and that they would tell others. We want to rejoice with them. We want to walk with them. We want to help them. 
And Lord, in this, I just take a moment and I say, parents, you've been set up this morning to have a conversation with your children. Where are they? Children's teachers, student ministries leaders, you have been positioned after this morning to have a conversation with your students. Where are they? God, thank you. Oh, thank you for what you have done. We rejoice in Christ's name. Amen.